over and over the last 10 years of employing grads, you see the same challenges and the challenges um, are in five main areas. Welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. I'm David Keir and this episode we sit down with Dr. Jeff Coe. I actually first saw Jeff at a course about five years ago. I was just coming out of dental school. It was a course um, that was really about the fundamentals and how to avoid those big mistakes. It was packed full of information. So I was really excited for this interview. Dr. Jeff Coe has been in education in dentistry almost since the beginning. He's also run, runs a practice. He employs grads. And that's actually one of the, the most interesting parts of this conversation. We, we kick it off with like talking about employing graduates and the the pros and the cons and I think that actually gives really good insight for people who are in that earlier stage about the things that they should perhaps be working on or thinking about. Um, We also talk a lot about his path, how he got to having three practices, he's an educator, he runs uh, an education company called Australian Hands-On Courses and he provides complex dentistry in aligners, uh, implants and, and all sorts of other things. We get into talking about of course the courses he does and he teaches and a lot of that came from um, trying to put together content that his graduates needed. And so, this year, he's releasing something called the GAP program. And the GAP program, the Graduate Accelerator program, is really just focused in on helping graduates in all the areas that they need and obviously we get into that in the interview now some of those courses actually are on all the courses are on cpdjunkie.com.au and some of them are actually discounted so keep an eye out on the junkie deals page on cpdjunkie.com.au now speaking of discounts if you're interested in aligners and orthodontics which many of us are early on we haven't got a lot of education in that field so We've partnered with OrthoEd and that means that you, any listener who is less than five years out of dental school can get 10% off any of their courses. Dr. Jeff Hall is the educator and founder of OrthoEd and he really feels passionate about this. I'm actually doing the mini masters, which is a two-year program. I really want to get a broad range of understanding and I'm doing the OrthoEd segment, which you'll hear in our What I Wish I Knew podcast, where I'm going through learning ortho and getting ortho at the same time. I hope that's really useful. Now, if you're interested in any of their courses, they're a liner course, it's online, it's live, um, check out orthoed.com. But also check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed and you can get 10% off any of their courses. And the last thing we're doing, we've got is Ripe Global. Ripe Global, as you know, major sponsor of the podcast. I think they're doing awesome work and you can get 30% off their membership. The code for that is HeadStartRipe. You'll get 30% off and that's for life. That's a really cool discount as well. You'll hear more at the end of this podcast. But for now, enjoy the chat with Dr. Jeff Coe. What are you focusing on this year? What are the CPD topics, the disciplines that you really want to get better at? And how do you find all the information out there on those topics? cpdjunkie.com.au is made to be a comprehensive directory of CPD in Australia and New Zealand. We created this because we found this frustrating and now there is a system where you can be alerted if there's topics that come up that you are interested in. Make an account at cpdjunkie.com.au and update your alert settings. Every month on the 20th, we send an email sending you the information specific that you want to know about. Interested in communication, aesthetics and orthodontics? Same. Update your alert settings now. Take your CPD to the next level with cpdjunkie.com.au.
Dr. Jeffrey Coe, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, David. Thank you for the opportunity. It's oh, it's my pleasure. Actually, um, I mentioned it when we were talking off air, but I first met you actually at a course in Sydney, and that would have been oh, at least six years ago or more. So you've obviously been in the education space for you know a while. You've done you've kicked some goals, so to speak, in dentistry, and I'm really looking forward to learning a bit about you know your education platform, your businesses, your dentistry itself. But I always ask this question: How do you find the time to do all these different things? It's funny you should ask that because I get asked that a lot and you're not the first one. (laughs) The answer is when uh, your work is your passion, then it doesn't feel like work. And for me, I'm very blessed and fortunate that that is the case. I really enjoy what I do. When work is your passion, it it makes things so much easier. And I think, um, you know, people ask me the same thing in doing the podcast as well. I enjoy the creative outlet and that gives me the time um, to do it. One of the things um, I also want to ask, and we're going to get into your story and all the things we normally do on this podcast, but I want to ask you about employing graduates. I know that you do employ graduates within your practices and um, a lot of graduates listen to this and it's obviously the turn of the year, so people looking for work and thinking about that. What is the benefits and perhaps the drawbacks of employing graduates? Sure. Good question. And um, to give you some, some background, I've been employing graduates for over a decade now. So over 10 years we've been seeing graduates um, either straight out of university day one or graduates in the first one to two, three years, recent grads. And... Um, the, 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 well, well, let's start off with the benefits and then we'll move to the challenges. Now, the benefits <laughs> would be <laughs> the benefits are you are receiving a grad who is keen, ready, and eager to learn. And they usually don't come with any baggage or any bad habits because they're a clean slate, a blank canvas if you will, and you can teach them, shape them, mold them the way uh, you like. Okay, So that's a a really big benefit. Um, Other benefits would be that um, they're usually flexible in terms of their work hours, work days. Um, They're happy to do the weekend shifts, the, the late night shifts that perhaps other dentists uh, you know, who are 5, 10, 15 years out, don't want to do. So they can so do those. We're eager, eager to do as much as we can when we get out. We just want to get our hands wet and we probably want to earn a bit of money as well. Um, so I, I guess if, if you're a graduate listening, um, keep your options open for your practitioner, for your practice and they'll be happy. <laughs> Absolutely. To give you an insight on how I started when I first uh, graduated in 05 and first started in, in my uh, in, in private practice, um, I used to work the afternoon to evening shift. So I would start work at uh, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon and go right until 9 p.m. And I actually really loved that because I'd have the whole morning to myself, do what I needed to do, have lunch, come into work. Um, and you, when you drive to work, there's no traffic. When you drive home, there's no traffic. It's great. I really enjoyed that. And it meant that I quickly built up my books because most patients want to come and see you after work, after school, after hours, and I was always there. Um, And so I got to um, 
pick a, a lot of great patients um, and, and working class patients who couldn't be seen between eight and five. Uh, so, so my books um, grew quickly that way. So, yeah, advice for recent grads, take their afternoon late night shifts because, you know, they're the ones that the other dentists don't want to do and you can um, fill your books much easier that way. I was going to say Saturdays definitely fall into the same thing, don't they? Absolutely. Yes, Saturday, we can work Sundays these days, Saturday and Sunday. You can uh, quickly build a loyal um, patient base that way. Um, so going back to uh, advantages of hiring a grad. So as we mentioned, flexibility, uh, clean slate, uh, and just general eager and keen to do things. You know? they, they, they don't have that, I don't want to do this attitude or I'm too good for this attitude. You know, they're keen and eager to learn. So that would be the two. Uh, well, I guess from a, a business standpoint, um, uh, either going on a salary, um, a set salary with a retainer or a, a lower commission percentage um, as a grad with or without a retainer um, for the business can be profitable, particularly in the first year if they're, you know, if they're on a salary. Uh, from a business perspective, if, if that grad can really ramp up their production, um, then it's quite ad- advantageous to the business um, in, in that regard. So um, that's another advantage. Something that I've said a few times on the podcast is we also need, as a graduate, we're looking for a job, but it needs to be win-win. It really is important that the business is obviously supported and not paying for you to do dentistry. <laughs> um, and so that, that's an important point. And once you build your books and your skills, transitioning through to, you know, commission and, and the more standard structures, um, you know, you, you start off running then, and it works for everybody. Absolutely. One of the... Um like we don't we don't give set targets or goals that you know that they you know, say I know in corporate world there's some specific targets and KPIs that, that need to be met. But we don't really set targets and goals, but we do have guidelines. And you know, in, in terms of treatment planning, the, the question that's uh, always asked is, oh yeah, how do I treatment plan this case when you've got a five three one, uh, you know, four five three ones to do and and two five three twos. How do I book that? And, you know, without any guidance, the new grad will go, okay, uh, let's do the 1531, take 50 minutes or an hour for that, and then get them back in another week. And then we'll do the next 531 for another hour. And I'm thinking, no, that's not efficient at all. Um, so a, a, a simple guideline is you need to do at least $300 an hour, you know, just to cover costs for a business. So when you're treatment planning, treatment plan it as such. So you can see, okay, if they're coming back for an hour, I need to charge at least 300 so I can do maybe two lots of five, three ones in that hour. Uh, so that gives new grads a little bit of a guideline as to what employers do need to just cover costs because you don't want to be a liability to the business and the practice and be losing the money um, because that relationship won't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I said like a pro. I think it's really nice that you've given a bit of a guideline there, I think, because often it's hard to know those numbers. Like we are in university and many people have literally no idea how, you know, the business of dentistry works and the numbers of dentistry and, and literally just how a normal day flows. Like when I was in uni, I had three-hour appointments <laughs> most of the time <laughs> yes. sitting there waiting waiting for a tutor. But it's it's not like that obviously in the real world. No, no, absolutely. So what are the some of the challenges you've seen then? Absolutely. Um, challenges would be um, 
over and over the last 10 years of employing grads, you see the same challenges over and over again. And the challenges um, are in five main areas that, that you know, we, we put the GAP program around to, to cover these, but we'll get to that later. The five challenges is one, um, communications. Uh, and under that really broad category of communications would be case acceptance, um, what to say, if and when things go wrong. I think it's more so when things go wrong, not, not if things go wrong. It, it's, a, it's just bound to happen, right? You know, things will go wrong. And, but how do you manage that case and manage that patient well? Um, so uh, things around communication, but not only communication with your patient, but communicating with your colleagues, your dental assistant, your front office manager, your front office coordinators, your employee, Everyone around you, it's, it's basic interpersonal skills that I feel these days is really getting worse and worse, unfortunately. It's not getting any better because, that's, you know, in, in, in order to get into dentistry, it's all about academia and how, how great your marks are to get in, right? And so what's thrown out the window is the ability, ability to communicate and connect with, with other people. And I don't just mean connecting with patients, but just people in general. So there's a big difference between IQ smart and, and you know, book smart and, and being street smart. So, you know, as an employer, we want the street smarts because we can train the hand skills. But we are street smart. So um, number one is the challenge is communication. Number two, uh, pros, like cutting cram prep. Um, bridge prep, crown preps, because, yeah, it doesn't matter which university you go to, you graduate with a very limited experience in crown and bridge work. So that's challenging. Um, One week in the world, real world worth of pros. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, or less. <laughs> um, and uh, the third aspect would be endo, particularly premolar and molar endo. You know, you'd be, you'd be lucky to graduate with, with some endos, um, but usually it's an anterior, it's like a 3-1 endo that you can do really easily. But when it becomes a molar, and, and let's face it, most toothaches that come in is a molar. <laughs> it's an upper six, a lower six, something like that. And they want to save the tooth, and, you, and then you think to yourself, oh, I didn't even do one in university. No, you want me to do one, and the patient's paying $2,000 plus for it. So that's challenging. Um, so endo, and then the last one is oral surge and, and getting a tooth out. Um, you know, sectioning a tooth, basic oral surgery, you know, raising a flap. Uh, and, and, you know, when you've got that toothache appointment who's booked in your books for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, and you've got to diagnose, actually before that you've got to connect with a patient, you know, be nice to them. <laughs> it's not New South Wales Health or Queensland Health, so you've actually got to be nice. <laughs> um, you've got to diagnose. So then you've got to take a PA, then you've got to give a local, then you miss the block and the tooth is still yep, numb. Yep. And then you've got to block two other times. And then by that time, you're like 30 minutes into a 40-minute appointment and you still haven't even picked up the, the forceps. And you think, oh, my God. And then by that time, the next patient's already in. <laughs> and you look out the window and you can see your next patient in the waiting room and you're thinking, oh, man, this is tough. Uh, and then you get stuck and you snap the root, <laughs> right? And how do you get out of that? So those are the five main challenges. 
Yep. They, that just explained a few of my, um, you know, last four years of my life. But yeah, particularly <laughs> I think the one there. with oral surgery. Yeah, we've all, all been there. It's a normal process. But um, particularly with oral surgery, I think that's something, you know, we don't get a lot of experience with then getting out, you know, getting that root tip out or, um, you know, just making those steps and those decisions. I think that's really, really interesting, those those points. Um, and obviously, you've, you've actually put a program together. We'll get to it towards the end, actually. I want to learn a bit more about you. But the, this is the GAP program, and it's through um, your education company, Australian Hands-On Courses. Um, but let's, like, take a big, huge step back. Why are you a dentist? And when did you decide you wanted to be a dentist? You said you're passionate. Where does this come from? Yes, it does. Well, I'm... I'm uh... Family of four kids, the youngest. Uh, <laughs> parents, um, parents are from Taiwan and immigrated to Australia back in 1986 to a place at the southern part of the Gold Coast called Chugan, right on the border with New South Wales is Chugan and Tweed Heads. And um, I remember in '86 we copped off the plane. And we we're like the only Asian people in the whole country, I think it was back in the day. <laughs> and I started, I started um, primary school at Southport at the Gold Coast in 1988. And I look around there, you know, I'm the only kid with black hair. And I, you know, I'd, I'd bring the, um, you know, everyone was eating sandwiches and I'm bringing rice to school. <laughs> I'm the one eating rice. Yeah, yeah. He's a weird kid. Uh, so it was challenging growing up uh, at the Gold Coast in the 80s, in the late 80s and early 90s. It's a very different place now because the Gold Coast, well, there's even a Chinatown at the Gold Coast these days, so it's, it's very different. Um, but, you know, from a young age, uh, parents um, instilled in me a, a, uh, an ethic of working hard. Uh, and you look around and, and, and that's how my brothers were and my sister was. And, you know, they all worked hard for what, what they uh, achieved. And... Um, as I went throughout uh, primary school and high school, um, I found a calling towards healthcare, and I was thinking, you know, I really want to help people. Like I, I enjoy something medical, and in fact, I wanted to be a, a GP. And I was not a GP, I'd get into to medical and do something in the medical sphere. And so, um, when I applied for university. It was um, obviously science and because you, in order to get into to medicine, you have to do science at undergrad degree and sit the GAMSAT you know, back in the day. And uh, that's, that's the path I wanted to, to go down. And I still remember I was, I was, um, when I, I would have been about, I don't know, 16, 15 or 16, no, maybe 16 or 17. And one of my brother's friends was a, an orthopedic surgeon. And, uh, you know, I, I was asking him, hey, what do you think? I'm thinking of going into, into medicine. And he goes, he, he shook his head. Jeff, <laughs> <And he laughs> don't do it. <laughs> he said, you'll have no life, you know, you have no work-life balance. Your, your, your weekends and after hours are stuck in hospitals. You're always on call. It's not worth it unless you're super-duper really, really love it and it's your passion go and do dentistry. <laughs> so I took his advice. <laughs> I took his advice and went and did dentistry instead. Um, went to UQ and said, look, I'll take your advice. Did you know Did you know much about dentistry at the time or was it like no, just a No, not at all. It was, it was, it was, yeah. it was a blind yeah. stab. Like, okay, cool, dentistry, why not? I had no idea. Like, I just thought, well, 
dentistry, yeah, it sounds like a good work-life balance. Um, then I spoke to my local dentist uh, in Southport in the, in the Australia Fair, um, and he said, yeah, it's brilliant, you know. We earn this much a year, um, you know, it's an eight-to-five job. We don't work on the weekends. I thought, sounds, sounds like the lifestyle for me. And uh, that's, that's how I got into dentistry. There's quite a few people with a similar, you know, pathway, which is like medicine and then, oh, wait a second, I want a life. And I think that is obviously, I've said it many times, one of the beautiful things about dentistry is, is that it does provide us with that life. If we work hard, we can do just a couple of days and, and survive quite okay or we can work really hard and, and earn a real, you know, great living. So, so it's, it's a beautiful opportunity. How did you find uni when you got in? I found it, um, it it wasn't as difficult as I as I would have expected. I, I the the hard work is getting in, and yeah. once you're in, it's not that actually not actually that difficult. I, I found, and because a lot of it, a lot of the assessments were were hand skills and clinical based. Uh, we still had to do the theory, but. I didn't find it too challenging. I thoroughly enjoyed the course. You know, we were the first program of the what was then called the 131 program. So we had one year of science, three years at the dental school at UQ in Turbot Street, and then one year out working as slaves for Queensland Health. And yes, um, yes, we, yes. Were, we were really, you know, at the time we were up in arms about it because we were saying, oh, we, we know. We're giving free labor to Queensland Health and we're not getting paid for this and we have to pay for our own accommodation. What is this? Um, but looking back on it, it was great. We loved it because yeah, we had great 40 experience. weeks, yeah. two blocks of 20 weeks, 40 weeks of just working, seeing patients, getting, getting real-life dentistry. And, and when I graduated, I just hit the ground running because I could see toothache patients in half an hour. I could diagnose, treat, and get them out the door in 25 minutes, which I don't think can happen now. I think the graduates these days will struggle to do that because they just don't have that clinical experience when they when they graduate. That's right. They're trying to fit so much into a pretty short program, and then you you, you lose out on that patient contact. You might have some, you know, especially now with obviously with COVID, it's been a real challenge, and they've had to do a lot of sim, um, you know, and then try and ramp up and catch up but it's a true challenge i would say i'd love to hear your advice but i'll say you know if you are someone out there who feels like you haven't got a lot of experience you're graduated you will find it you know what i mean you will get that experience and you will grow and it doesn't take that long believe it or not what would you say to those people who might feel like they don't have enough experience i would say um on your days off and if you're not working full-time you're working part-time you've got plenty of days off and if you're working full-time, you'll still have days off and times off where you can find time and latch on to a mentor. You know, you can find a friendly colleague somewhere, a specialist, an experienced dentist, somewhere, somehow, flick through Google and just latch on to someone. Um, reach out to me if you need a hand. Um, you know, find someone who you can sit in with and who's happy to mentor you and show you how things are done because, um, you know, dentistry can be a really – uh, big wide world out there and can be very isolating, you know, if you're by yourself. Um, but there's always so many people um, out there who, who are happy to lend a hand. So get a mentor is, is my first piece of advice. 
I think that's fantastic advice. And something um, that really helped me personally was I was a dental assistant for years before I even did, did dentistry and then through dentistry as well. And and that was invaluable experience. In fact, Dental Head Start, this podcast, it was a blog before and it was founded on the premise that I wanted to share the little tips and things that you don't learn in dental school. And I think that is the best way to learn those things. Watching someone, being mentored by someone, you learn how to do it as much as why you're doing it. That's crucial. That's brilliant. I love that. Go, yes, that's a great tip. Find work as a dental assistant, you know, even on the weekends. You know, go and hang around your local clinic and, and offer your services. You know, even, even if they don't have a job going on, uh, but these days everybody is looking for a DA and it's so hard to find. You know what you're talking about. You can start fast and, hey, they might even have a job for you at the end of your, your course. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, you obviously, you know, you hit the ground running. Um, you then went into private practice, I believe. Um, how were your first few years of private practice and did you have a mentor? Yeah, so um, I, I graduated in 06, uh, worked in private practice um, for two and a half years and in that two and a half years, um, within the clinic, I didn't have a mentor as such within uh, the clinic, but I, I quickly latched on to a lot of uh, specialists who were very willing and happy to help and teach and share um, in, in those days. So, and, and that's, that's I learned a lot from them. I'd, I'd go, go in and, and sit with them on my days off. I'd, I'd take photos and email. And it's very important to build a, a great support network around you in the different specialties particularly oral surge. You need to be friends with a good oral surgeon who can back you up, right, when you've, when you've broken that root tip <laughs> into the sinus. Uh, you need to be friends with a good endo, right, who can yep, help you when you've, when you've broken yeah. that file <laughs> or you can't find <laughs> some canal or you've perforated something. Um, you need to be friends with um, a good restorative slash pros sort of uh, dentist specialist. Um, because, you know, there's just so many restorative questions that even I get, you know, from my own clinicians uh, weekly on, oh, what's best to do here or how do I restore that or can I can a lever off this tooth or should I, what should I do here, right? So you'll be presented with, with so many of those clinical challenges you just don't know what to do. So, you know, build your network around you. Um, and then, so that was my first two years and then third year out, I started and, and did my own thing. So my brother and I said, look, let's get into it. It's, it's 2008. The GFC is coming, so great time to start a dental clinic. <laughs> Perfect. You know, we had no idea. Size, you know. But it was a, a brilliant time to start. You know why? The best thing that, that helped our growth um, at that time was, was uh, Kevin Rudd's Medicare chronic dental scheme <laughs> that gave – uh, patients with a chronic disease, four thousand dollars, and that's kind of kickstarted our our um, practice really quickly. Mm-hmm. How did you find those early years of private practice? Did you find it all consuming? Did you find it took away from your clinical dentistry, or and would you recommend it to someone in a similar position? That's a really good question, and I answer that question like this: You have to know what. Uh, what you really want in life before you embark on practice ownership because um, I see too many people who, who see the bright lights associated with being a business owner. Okay, ha, oh, look, they're just collecting all the cash. They do no work. They've got all these associates working for them. 
uh, and you know they 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 spend two days a week at work and the rest of the time on the golf course. It's easy, right, Jeff? I thought it was easy. It's so easy, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know what they don't see is the behind the scenes, right? The the hours, the late nights you do, like you know, I always say, you know, you go to work between nine and five, or nine and six, or whatever you do, eight and six. You get home, you have dinner, have a shower, and then your your second work starts between eight and one, eight and two, right? And and that's how that's that's the life of a business owner, particularly in the early stages of a startup. When you're getting around accounting, finances, um, uh, all the legals, marketing, advertising, HR issues, staffing issues, you know, all the different aspects that you never taught at university and now you're thrown into the deep end. Uh, and that pressure of, mate, I've got a huge loan. <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get 20 new patients in. I've got to get this every month. You know, I need to hit these targets. And if that's not for you, don't do that. You know, my, 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 my thing is, you know, it's, it's great to be an associate. You, you go to work for eight, ten hours a day. You come home. You don't have to worry about anything else. You've got a good solid income. You know, you'll be earning 100, 150, 200K plus a year. That's a great lifestyle, you know. So don't be uh, fooled and be tricked into thinking the life of a business owner is easy. It's not for everyone. Uh, it's perfect, perfect advice. Also, don't start a podcast and a CBD junkie directory um, if, you <laughs> if you want your evenings as well because that's what I do on lots of my evenings. I actually absolutely love it. It's a passion. So, that's why. But you love it. Um, so, that's fine. <laughs> but, but it's really, really important advice. I think the other thing um, which you touched on essentially is that as a business owner, they're also carrying the risk and as an associate, we're not. COVID made that very clear. Um, you know, through those months, I think the associates were less stressed than the owners without, um, you know, without a doubt. So, it, it, I know this, it, uh, David, I know this is a different. podcast, so you can't, you can't see me, but hey, all these gray hairs on the side, they came around <laughs> in April last year, April and May last year. <laughs> Uh, oh, a lot of hair dye was sold at that those months, I think. Um, <laughs> so, would you um, obviously you said you know you answered it by saying um, if that's if that's not something you're interested in, it's not for you. Was it for you? Obviously, you're an entrepreneur. You you thrive on this. Um, was that the right time for you? It was the right time, and and I was thinking at the time, I was thinking, geez, I'm only two and a half years out. There's still so much more for me to learn, and. Um, the truth of the matter is it's like having children. You're never going to be ready. It's just going to happen and you've got to make it happen. You've got to see, see the opportunity and you've got to jump into it. And, and you know, that, that's how business is. You know, you're never going to be fully prepared to be a business owner. You've just got to get in and do it. So, you know, I, you know, I said to myself, well, two and a half years out, clinically I'm, I'm, I'm competent I'm not amazing. There's a lot of things I need to learn. But, hey, I need to get in there and do it. Um, uh, and I saw a great opportunity and, and, and that's what we did. And I don't look back, not one bit. That's fantastic. So then um, it, it makes perfect sense. What, then thinking about, and I, I think about this, you know, your clinical skills, um, you then have to spend so much time on the business, right? As you said, all those hats you have to wear. Um, less time obviously for CPD and, and personal re reflection and, and growth from the skills point of view. How did you manage that? Because you obviously you've done pretty well in that area as well, um, you know, 
orthodontics, surgery, implants, all the stuff that you're doing. Um, how did you manage that? The, the thing to remember is as a business owner, when you're, when you're the business owner and you're the dentist producing the income, when you go to CPD, you don't make any money that day because your practice shuts down, right? There's, there's no production being generated when you're away. So you've got to factor in that if you want your business to be still making to still be making income on the days you're away at CPD, in the first two three years is not the great time to be doing that. You can't enroll in a two year mini residency that takes you away, you know, fifty days um, because you will just be in debt. And that's the bottom line. So you really can't do much CPD. Um, that takes you away from your clinical hours. So you'll need to then turn to CPD that's online. You know, and these days there's so much of that. You can do it after hours. You need to do it after hours. That's that's the tip. Um, but back then there wasn't much online. You know, back you know, 13 years ago, you, know, you actually had to go live uh, to live courses to learn anything really. And so I found the first two years I hardly did any CPD because I was building, building a clinic so I couldn't get away from that so there's no holidays and no cpd sounds wonderful <laughs> yeah it, it is until you hire an associate and that's a big step for a lot of um, practice owners they don't want to lose that control they, they're such control freaks that it's like oh man if i hire an associate nah it's just easier if i do it myself right and then they, they never get past that that one chair um and you know as a business you really don't make money on one chair you need to have at least two chairs going in, th in the third chair before uh, profit comes into it. So, um, you know, if you're thinking about starting a clinic, you need to think about, I need, I need to have enough space for three chairs minimum, and I want to have my second chair running, uh, you know, within 12 months. And, and that way you can actually start going, getting some time off or going on CPD and, and free, freeing up your time. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really good advice for the young practice owners, um, and, and obviously, as you said, you know, early on, it's it's a real challenge. So you have to, I guess, plan for that and and not plan to do a million things of CPD at the same time. Um, how did you then? Um, so you then proceeded to do you know a, a fair amount of um, you know CPD and, and learning about, as I said, implants, orthodontics are the key things I've heard you talk about. Um, what was the best? cpd or choice of cpd you did early on and and essentially the question is what would you recommend to others to do early on that's great uh, the, the best is the one that gives you the biggest return on investment roi so as a as a young dentist you need to think to yourself what aspects of dentistry do i see every day that i don't have to sell so the things that you see every day that walks through the door that you don't have to sell is restorative, number one, right? They come in all the time. And, and, and number two is toothaches, all right? So you get a toothache all the time. Every day you work, you'll see check up and clean, and you get toothache emergencies. So you need to learn, go to oral surgery courses to be efficient at removing teeth, and then you can talk about pros because then you replace that space with bridge, denture, implant, right? So then, so the courses would be restorative because you're going to do fillings and rest restoration, so get efficient at that. 
Um, and there's so many restorative courses out there these days. You know, I can't name one. I can probably name five, ten of them. Um, you know, through various various uh, different um, CPD providers. So restorative. Um, I wouldn't jump into implants now because realistically, you're not going to be. You're not ready. You can, but you're not ready. You know, you got to learn how to walk before you run and, and implants is running but I see a lot of dentists these days they go oh I'm doing implants in ortho because it's cool and I see that on DPR and these all these top names are teaching these courses and my friends are going it's like don't get sucked into that lure of doing big boy dentistry when you're one two year, three years out because you can't even cut a crown prep properly just you know learn how to walk first um, so yeah going back to it the biggest ROI will be um, yeah, restorative courses, oral surgery, endo courses, get your basics right. That's great. Uh, and I think the way you framed it from the start was what's the ROI? Like what? And that's really the point. We're learning so that we can provide more for our patients. We're not learning implants because we want to know the theory and never apply it, <laughs> spend tens of thousands of dollars and, and take quite a while to get going and then lose out in other areas. So that's that's great advice. Um, let, let's Let's – kind of transfer over to the education side of things um so jeff you run australian hands-on courses um it's a pretty descriptive name um are all the hand are they all hands-on and why is it why is that yes uh the answer is yes because i was um disillusioned and uh, by the courses that are out there in the cpd event space they're mainly theory it's, it's mainly theory, like all theory, or it's didactic theory and hands-on, but it might be 50-50 or 70% theory, 30% hands-on. It's like really token hands-on they don't really learn much from. So I said, why don't I flip it? Why don't we run courses with a focus on hands-on? So it's 80-20, 80% hands-on, 20% theory, because you can always pick up theory online. You can YouTube anything and, and get theory and watch someone else do it. But, you know, you can't go to YouTube and do it yourself. So that's the premise of these hands-on courses is to get specialists or leading educators in their field, in whatever field it is, pros, endo, oral surge, um, anything, and they're watching over your shoulder as you hold the burr and as you cut through that crown. They're watching you, watching over your shoulder as you elevate that tooth or as you do that sectional or cut through that cadaver um, through the skin and through the bone. And, and they're watching exactly how you do it and giving you feedback and advice there and then. That's the best way of learning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's, you know, many courses are mainly theory and, and it's easy to then learn a lot about it but ne never really apply it because you're not ready because you don't have the hand skills. With the courses that um, you guys run, the, you know, most of the areas, those five challenging areas, communication, pros, endoral surgery, you teach on these or these are the courses. Um, tell us, you've, you've started to put these together um, as something, the GAP program. Uh, tell us about the GAP program. The GAP program was, was born out of uh, the associates, and I thank them, the associates who I've employed over the years. Um, since 2009 was when I first employed uh, an associate. And as we said earlier in the podcast, I found that they all had the same challenges with regards to communications, pros, endo, oral surgery. And I said to myself, why isn't there a course out there or a program that teaches them all of this? in the one 
sort of weekend, one sort of year-long program. So I put that together. So you know, did that myself in, in 2013. We put a three-day hands-on conference and we called it RGC, uh, Recent Graduates Conference. Uh, it was at the Palazzo Versace at the Gold Coast. And uh, we had with, um, young dentists fly in from all over Australia and even New Zealand, and we converged on three days of hands-on learning. And I thought, wow, this is brilliant. Uh, and so how the GAP program has now evolved, it's gone from a two, three-day program to a, a year-long program with eight modules. Uh, you know, each module builds on the other, and each module covers an aspect or area of dentistry that graduates really need to be competent and confident in before you can move on to the next level. So the areas would be pros, endo, oral surgery, perio, pedo, communications, um, basic ortho. And then at the end of that, uh, that year, there's a final exam. There's a graduation ceremony that you've got to present two cases to your peers of fully uh, documented, worked-up cases that you can present to, to everyone else for appraisal. That keeps you sharp because the thing is once you graduate from university, there's no more exams. And if there's no exams really pushing you, for most people, why would you want to learn that? Why would you want to spend your weekend doing something if you don't really have to? And so really what I found is the only time you actually look into something is if you have that case coming up next week and you're frantically searching online for, oh, how do I do X, Y, and Z? You know, the night before on YouTube, you're watching something or you're reading um, articles or, or textbooks on it or referring back to your old um, lecture notes from fifth year, fourth year, right? But by being on the GAP program, after every module, there's a mini quiz, an exam, and then it keeps you sharp all throughout the year. And then the final exam and, and ceremony uh, make sure that you graduate better than you were before, more confident. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, with the exams, it keeps you accountable, and that that's a that's a true thing, isn't it? If we don't have a little exam going, we tend to just oh, we're interested, but it's yeah, we we you know get more interested in the coffee later on in the course. That's it. Just, that's it. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather um go out. Where's dinner at? Where, where's dinner tonight? Yeah. Which restaurant am I going to after this CPD? <laughs> Who's coming for drinks? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. So, so the GAP program is something. Is that is that new this year? It is. It is new this year, and uh, we are kicking off next month. Our first module is case acceptance and communications, uh, and that underpins everything. Because if you can't get case acceptance, you won't even have an opportunity to cut a crowd. <laughs> you won't even have an opportunity to um, to to endo, right, if you can't even get your patient to agree to, to your treatment plan. So that's where it all starts. Mm, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, that's uh, Obviously, you'll find that on um, CPD Junkie. This is a shameless plug. Um, there's actually there's a discount code, actually. Jeff is nice enough to offer a, a bit of a code there. So um, if you're interested, check that out for sure. Um, COVID-19's put a bit of a spin on running live events. Um, How has it been for your business and what do you think the future of courses are yeah we've um we have taken the other approach so most cpd companies have have stopped doing cpds um big businesses have stopped travel in general um they're saying let's put a hold on it you know like today uh you know 
Victoria's now in another lockdown, if I'm if I'm uh, not mistaken, and uh, you know, a five day lockdown. It just happens at the drop of a hat. But what we've said is we've seen an opportunity there because throughout COVID, people have just gone sick of webinars and Zoom meetings, right? And they're itching, they're dying to get out to a live event again. And so what we said is, why don't we run courses just in the local state? Uh, so you don't need interstate travel. So, you know, we'll run courses in Queensland and in separate ones in New South Wales and Vic and SA, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's what we've done. And, you know, we, we did very well last year. We actually ran quite a number of courses um, around oral surgery and endo still. And it's, it's worked out fine. And, yes, you do get those last-minute shut, um, you know, border shutdowns. That, um, but, hey, people are quite accepting of that now. They just understand, okay, that happens and, you know, it's the way it is. So it's, it's not too much of a hassle. It was to begin with. But this year we have un, an unprecedented, unprecedented number of courses. We're, we're doing somewhere around 25 to 30 courses this year. Um, Queensland, New South Wales, and we're, we're branched out to SA. So people in South Australia, we're, we're coming towards you. So, um, you know, it's, it's an exciting time. We're, we're really growing and we want to take this message out and not just concentrate that in Queensland, but share that education out to every, every dental graduate all around the country, no matter where you are. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and you're right. I think people are obviously, they want these hands-on like live courses it's something we need to get back to you know the, the, and also the social side of meeting up with you know colleagues or dental school friends and and all that stuff that's really quite important isn't it um yeah I, I think what you're doing there is fantastic and we'll have a lot of that information obviously on cpd junkie on dental head start on this blog um the show notes as well let's um let's think about all the people listening often they're younger dentists they tend to be graduates and students and i like to ask a few questions like if, you know some of the tips and things um for those people um what mistakes we talked a bit about the challenges but what specific mistakes do you think um graduates should really be thinking about and, and working on early on Okay, let, let's start off with, I'm going to break it down into clinical and non-clinical. So let's start with clinical mistakes. And in, in terms of clinical mistakes, um, I would say diagnosis is one. Um, and in particular, misdiagnosis, right? You know, you're, 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 what, what I find as in dentistry, which is... is um, uh, dental schools, they're taught ideals. You know? They're taught, I don't think they're taught reality because they're taught by academics who, who live in an ideal world. And with all due respect to, 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 to the academics, but when you get to reality, there's a big disconnect uh, in private practice. So one of, one of the examples is if you've got a lesion, a carious lesion in a, in a tooth and you look at it on the enamel and a lot of my grads go, yeah, no, it's only small. Let's just watch and monitor it. And, and, but you look at the rest of the patient and it's a 20-year-old kid. They've got thick plaque everywhere. They've got gingivitis everywhere. They haven't, they, I don't think they know which end of the toothbrush to use, right? Those patients, they're drinking so much Coke and soft drink. And you just want to watch that lesion because they're looking at the tooth in isolation. That's the wrong thing. 
right? And and you know the associates are going, oh, let's just watch that. It hasn't broken through. Let's just watch it. Like they've got cavities everywhere. You know, you've got to look at the whole patient. Don't just look at one tooth in isolation to the rest of the mouth. Right? Look at the whole patient. You know, and I always say to them, project this forward. If if you look at this lesion and then you did nothing now. And you fast forward to five years and ten years, and you took another bite wing here. What do you think this is going to look like in five years? Do you think it's going to be like gone, like it actually re- magically remineralized, or do you think it'll be bigger? Yeah, and you know the answer is going to be huge. It's probably into the pulp, and then they're going to be on the phone with a toothache, right? So, you now one of the things is don't be so idealist. Patients in private practice mostly are lazy. They don't want to floss. They don't, you know, they don't brush so well, uh, and they don't look after that. Oh, hey, so just go in and, and fix that. Okay, uh, so that's the first thing. Um, so they're they're very um, tentative in terms of diagnosing and, and treating, because they'll say, oh, let's just watch it. You know, they got to crack down the tooth, crack around the amalgam. Let's watch it. It's. Sometimes it's easier to say that, isn't it, than to go through the process of explaining it to the patient, educating the patient, and, and you know, case acceptance. Fear of failure, I guess, maybe. Well, you see that amalgam, right? And the amalgam's been there for 20 years. I had this done back in 2000, you know, and it's been fine. Uh, and you see cracks all around it, cracks on the mesial marginal ridge, cracks everywhere, heavy, heavy occlusion. And say, so, let's watch it. I'm like, what are you watching? It's called supervised neglect. What are you watching? What do you think it's going to do? Is it going to, you know, if you've got a crack in your the, the front windscreen of the car, do you think it's magically going to fix itself? Of course it's not. You need to fix it, right? So, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said before, David, that part of it is, is the, the fear of actually doing it because, oh, I haven't done a crown prep before. So, um I know this does need a crown, but I haven't done one and I don't know, wouldn't know how to do one. And plus it's, oh, a, a 613 is 1800 bucks. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to sell that one. So let's just watch it because it's easier to do that. So, you know, that's number two. So you need to, to build your clinical skills to match um, what you see. So, so, so that would be uh, two clinical ones. Uh, endo is another one. Um, you know, just not, not knowing rotary systems well, um, breaking files. It's easier to, to you know, to, to get the in- instrument bound in a tight canal somewhere with with curves, curved roots, and oh, there goes the instrument. Yeah, you've got a separated instrument now. That's easy easy to do. Perforations when you don't know where you are. Um, and it's just lack of experience. So so those will be the main clinical things. And then non non-clinical would be um, patient management. You know, what do you say to the patient, you know, to get them to return? You know, you need to really build build that value in that getting them to come back because one of the biggest problems with grads is poor recall rates. Like, you know, we see, we've seen a, across the, the group clinics and across the years of uh, recall rates between, you know, 15 to 40%. Right, which is super duper low, which means you know, somewhere between six out of ten and nine out of ten of your patients see you once and they never come back again. So you know, it's, if they're never coming back, then you would have you either said something wrong or you didn't instill in them the importance of it of returning for their their um, 
preventive maintenance, right? So you really need to build Absolutely. value into that. That's something I, uh, I think is so, so important. And so it's a fairly simple concept. Is, is, and I've heard Dr. Jesse Green, I think is probably where I first heard it um, on his podcast, listened to that for years and um, talking about you know, the goal of the appointment is to set up the next appointment. Like it really the concept and that's not for the business. Obviously, it is for the business, but really it's for the patient. Like you get them out of pain with a toothache and forget to say that, hey, we should actually have a good look at everything else to make sure you're never in this situation again. Failing to say that is truly failing the patient and obviously it's failing yourself for the business too so crucial thing very easy for people to, to miss that early on and the other thing is also how about you see the patient once and you do a do your 011 and 022 you do the whole checkup and you find nothing you say okay done see ya bye and then they leave they don't make an appointment they leave and you never see them again and then the next time you see them is three years later in the books and they've got a massive toothache um, from caries, but that's a failure on our part because we didn't instill in them that uh, the, the importance of preventive maintenance. Right? It's much, yeah. much easier and much less costly to the patient and yourself um, if you know if they come in every six months, spend half an hour in your chair, check that everything's okay, rather than coming back three years later with a tooth that needs to come out. Now they're up for implant work. Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's critical stuff, and and it's um, eye opening. I think for some people, when you if you actually deeply think about that and the way you talk with your patients, yeah, really really important. Um, gonna two more questions. Um, this one again, this is kind of going a bit left of field. This one, our podcast today is weaved a little bit, but um, I want to ask, what was a challenging time in your career? Something where you maybe learn a lesson from it, or you know, something we can learn from. Let me think, a challenging time. Uh, definitely, I'd say, in the startup phases of, of a clinic, when you have zero patients. Now, all of our clinics have been startups from zero, from zero, from ground up. Like, we've never um, taken over an existing clinic with 2,000 patients, 10,000 patients. So, we started everything up from ground up with zero patients. So, particularly when, you're, when, you, when you have those challenges of being a new grad, two, three years out, and you're still you're having challenges clinically and you have the business aspects of starting up a clinic from scratch, that would have been the most challenging time. Um, and if you add life on top of that, you know, I know yeah, exactly. wife, kids, everything else, mortgages, all the stresses of, of everything else, it's, it's very easy to fall down and, 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 and fall down physically fall down mentally, uh, burn out, and, and, and those aspects. And, and let me touch on, on the, the mental health side of things because I know it's very common in society and a large percentage of, of not just dentists but just people in general have mental health challenges. Hey, I get mental health challenges, you know, but I've learned how to manage that um, and deal with it and prevent it. And it really comes down. It's a, it's quite a fad at the moment, you know. Mindfulness. Everywhere you look, there's some some mindfulness movement going on. Uh, there's apps all over everywhere on your phones. You know, I use Headspace as one. There's a there's a shameless plug. Yep, Headspace yep. is brilliant. <laughs> I use that. Yep. Um, so do I. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, it, it's some it's a short five ten minute thing you do every day. It's just like you know stretching or doing a little jog for your mind. 
and uh, it keeps you mentally healthy and, and in the right space. Um, so, you know, that's a really good tip, particularly for, for new grads uh, who will find it challenging mentally um, to cope with, with clinical practice, to cope with difficult patients, to cope with patients who are angry at you, patients who want a refund, patients where the work, where there was been an adverse outcome. And it's like, oh, man, what do I do now? I'm, you know, now have a complaint, like dealing with complaints. Like it's, it's really um, challenging mentally and can really bring you down. So it's very important to prevent that and, and you know, getting mindfulness, journaling, um, talking out with peers and colleagues, you know, not letting it bottle up and sit inside you. Reach out. There's so many avenues for help. Uh, help. Um, if you're in Queensland, I know that ADAQ actually has a, a dentist advisory sort of mental well-being program in place. So um, I don't know about other states, but you know, there's so many avenues out there. So you need not suffer alone because we're we're in this together. Uh, that's just so good that we touched on that because that's really important to me as well and it's something that um, you know from a personal point of view as much as anything else getting that message out there that it's important to look after yourself because if you don't look after yourself you can't look after others you know you can't be you know your best self that sounds very corny but um, it's true Um, so yeah I appreciate you bringing that up I think that's fantastic I ask one last question I think we should um, do another podcast on on mental health awareness you know and and tips and strategies so much there's so much to to cover there. Um, there really is, and maybe maybe we'll do a, a, a what I wish I knew. That's the short podcast that we do weekly. Maybe we might do a few of them um, in Looking the future. So, our last question I ask everybody: We kind of cover this usually through the podcast. But I want you to think about just one thing, one tip, or or concept or thing that you could teach every single graduate. Imagine all those people who just graduated. You want to just tell them, teach them. One thing, it can be a clinical tip, it can be a piece of advice, one thing that you think that will really change them. This is fresh in mind because I gave this clinical tip to one of my uh, grads um, just last week, actually. And um, the clinical, it's a clinical situation. Patient comes in and uh, toothache, you need to, to remove the tooth. You know, you give your block. Wait a few minutes, um, put the forceps on, ow, ow, it's sore, okay. Give another block and add in a buckle as well. Ah, oh, it's sore, you know, you know, this is, you know, keep on going back and forth, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and ah, oh, what do I do? Okay, well, how about we write you a script for some antibiotics and you come back next week because obviously infection's too big, I can't get it out. So that's what they did. They came back, this is the week later, still patient, still in pain. Half an hour later of L.A., and still sore. So I get the phone call, like, what do I do now? Patient's still here. My next patient's there. Uh, and I, I can't get this tooth numb. Every time I, you know, their, their tongue is numb, their lip is numb. Um, like I can probe on the on the gum, it's numb. But every time I, I go to elevate the tooth or every time I go to pick up a forcep, they writhe and scream in agony. And I said, well, I said, is the tooth mobile? I said, yeah, it moves. Like I can get molar forceps on it and actually moves. I said, well, you get a a long needle and you you add in your articane and you shove it right down the root as far as you can go. Like, you know, if if you can move the tooth, it means there must be a, a space in the PDL sort of space, socket area, 
we can shove your needle, long needle, all the way down as far as you can go and pump LA, lots of LA into there. So that's one. And number two, kill the nerve. So go straight into the into the pulp canal. Get a high-speed burr and, and drill straight down into the pulp chamber and inject and with a short needle, inject articane straight into the pulp chamber, into every canal, just like you're doing, um, you know, flushing uh, out Milton's through through uh, endo. And that's how you're going to kill the nerve. And uh, that's how it happened. You know, it's fully anesthetizing the tooth. It's, yeah, fantastic advice and a really stressful situation for um, a new grad when we can't get the tooth numb. Um, I think that that's really great and we've all been there. So, um, look, Jeff, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing all your tips and bits and pieces and um, it's it's been a pleasure. So, thanks for joining us, Dr. Jeffrey Coe. You are so very welcome anytime, David, and you're doing a wonderful thing here with uh, Dental Head Start and CPD Junkie. Um, it, it's it's a great thing that this man is, is doing and a great uh, a great thing for our profession so please support him Jeff I appreciate that a lot thank you alright I find it so useful when we talk to people who are intimately understanding what graduates are up to and, and where they're at and as you know I love finding out someone's story and how they got to where they are I think Dr. Jeff Coe is, a, is an inspiration in that way and what he's doing with the GAP program with Australian hands-on courses is, is phenomenal now of course you'll find some of that content and even maybe some discounts on cpdjunkie.com.au and another amazing resource if you're trying to get the fundamentals of dentistry down or even if you're trying to do more complex dentistry is Ripe Global. Founded by Dr. Lincoln Harris and a team of amazing educators from around the world, you can get their online content for just 59 Australian a month. But with Dental Head Start, you can actually get 30% off that for life. There's over 200 hours of content on demand. You can literally learn any topic i think that's amazing they've also got a lot of amazing content coming out in march such as their dental photography they've got some flap techniques with dr ricardo kern and some occlusion content with dr michael melkers this is high level online education and i think it's perfect for graduates so i really hope people find that useful if they use it now if you ever want to find out any of these discounts or things you can find it at dentalheadstart.com and the last thing i want to mention is thank you for listening we are reinstating the giving component of Dental Head Start where we give water for every listen, we give oral hygiene for every share of our content. It's just our little way of trying to tie in the podcast to, to something more and I think it's something that I like you know, to try to think about myself. What can I do? At least 1% of you know what I have I want to give and I hope that inspires others as well you can you can add to those things if that inspires you on our website and it goes to a company called B1G1 who 100% of that goes to the project because we pay the admin fees separately so um, I think that's great I hope it inspires some people until next time have a great week thank you for listening Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.